Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that neb-nosed mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. <laughs> That's FRANCHISE. You get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. And get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. <laughs> Get to bluechew.com right now. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great, grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. I blame that stinking son of a bitch, Billy Kidman. Now, as far as Tori Wilson and I are concerned, this sex tape bullshit has gone on long enough. So tonight, Billy Kidman, you get yours, and you people in Cincinnati get a lesson in getting your asses franchised. All right, let's... Uh... 
now that we got the pleasantries out of the way, we're going to get into the recording right now. So welcome back here to the Triple Threat Podcast. It's episode number 65 of this Triple Threat Podcast. If you did know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined on my show with John, the two-man power trip by the one and only JP, John Paz. But on this show, we're joined by our co-host, the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. But today, we are welcoming in a very special guest, the one and only Vince Russo. Vince, welcome to the Triple Threat Podcast. Wait, let me let me get this straight now. Hold the phone. So Shane doesn't do every show with you guys? Oh, no, he does. He was in Australia for like uh, what seemed like a month. So he missed two, but for... Uh, <laughs> 63 weeks he's done every show it's his triple threat podcast oh, that, that that sucks i i thought i thought he was specially doing this one because i was on <laughs> <laughs> under under contract vince we gotta uh, we gotta stick to the guns <laughs> well you see that's great to have you on that's yeah well that's one thing about shane man it's funny that you said that because man i gotta tell you that's one thing about shane and I've known Shane for a long time, man, going, going all the way back to Dean Douglas. And uh, the, the, <laughs> one of the reasons why, after all these years, I respect Shane and always, always have, and it's what you just said. Shane was always a man of his word, bro. Like, always responsible, always honest with you, um, always telling you the truth to your face, dependable. And it, it's funny that you said, you know, even in Australia – you know, here it is, like, God, some 25 years later, probably since I first met him, and, you know, Shane's still a man of his word. <laughs> well, thanks, Rav. It, 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 isn't it amazing? You said it, 25 years. It's, it, are you like me? It's, like, hard to believe it's been that long. Well, well, Shane, I could tell you this, bro. I just I found out, Shane, about two weeks ago now, I just became a grandfather for the first time. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm actually going to see my granddaughter. I'm leaving tomorrow to Atlanta for the first time. But, I mean, my God, Shane, like, you know, my first instinct is, you know, my, my oldest son, Will, you know, he's 32 now, and he, his wife just had the baby. And, you know, of course, when something like that happens, I'm remembering when he was born. So, yeah, you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. When, when you look back at that time in wrestling, I mean, I, I started in, like, 91. And it's like, my yeah. God, where did that time go? Man, I'm telling you, it's like a, like a time warp. I was just, uh, you know, my, my oldest son, you, you remember when he was born, uh, Connor just started his senior year in high school. And, oh, and that was like geez. a... You know, like a mind trip for me. Like, how the hell did he get to be a senior in high school already? Good God. I know. You know, Shane, I don't know if this happens to you. I'm going to ask you this question, and we're going a little bit off the beaten path, but I'm just curious. Shane, I know, like, when I wasn't working, when I wasn't at the road, when I was at the WWE, like, I know every second I was home, I spent all my time with my kids when I wasn't on the road. But now, bro, when I try to think back of those times with my kids and, like, the things we did together and stuff like that, bro, it's hard for me to pull up those memories. I mean, do you have the same problem, Shane, or can you remember all the stuff you did with your kids when you were young? Well, you know, I, I remember, you know, things that I, that, that, you know, that are 
stuck there in my brain, but you know, I, I, my sons will come to me and they'll say, Hey dad, do you remember this? Remember that? And I do when they, when they say it, but just as a thought, like if you ask me to give 10 memories, I, you know, they're not there. They're not like right at the tip, tip of your you know, brain cells because there's, well, first of all, there's so much. And then also, especially at that time, you were so you know busy. We were all so busy on the road that you didn't, you know, you, it was constantly being pulled in 18 different directions. And, you know, I, I often look back and think to myself, like, how in the hell did we get all that done? I was renovating two houses at the time and going to the gym twice a day, taking night classes and <laughs> teaching school. I don't know how the hell I did it. Now, now Shane, when you look back, because I got to be honest with you, man, I struggle with, with this all the time. I, I mean, it, it, it got it, Shane, it is so easy for me to look back and say, okay, you know, daddy was at work. And I mean, Shane, you know, I, I mean, I only went to TV. So, you know, you went to TVs and house shows and you were on the road a lot more than I was. But I can yeah. look back and say, OK, daddy was earning a living and daddy was supporting the family. But man, Shane, like I have regrets. Like when I look at sure. like I look at the wrestling business now of, of, you know, literally my treatment and, you know, just how thankless you know, Vince McMahon yeah. was. And, uh, and sure. like, he don't give a shit about me. He don't give a shit about my family. And now it's almost like I look back and I'm ashamed of myself all these years later because I made that my number one priority. I put, I put my family on the back burner and I, look, yeah. I, I sit here today and I'm like, for what? Like, what did I do that for? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, you, you you were doing it for the reason you said a second ago that you were taking care of the family. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure going into it, maybe I, maybe you did or I didn't, I don't know. I, I didn't go in realize, you know, what a time burden it would be. I mean, you know, being on the road is always a burden on your time. I apologize for the noise outside here. Uh, seems like, like busy uh, tractor day here today, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, it's, you know, you were, Look back and be proud of what you did there because, you know, by and large, what they accomplished with those ratings was done under your tutelage. And, you know, they, uh, whether they, uh, he uh, realizes it, will, uh, will admit to it or uh, give thanks for it, you know, that's just not in Vince's makeup. Um, you know, to me, we're all, at the end of the day, we're put to the ground. You know, we're all going to be remembered for those things, good and bad, that we've all done. And, uh, you know, I, for me, I sleep very well at night. I put my head on a pillow and I sleep very well, uh, because of the way that I've conducted myself and, and, uh, you know, the people that are close to me, I, I stay close to, but I, you know, for me, as I've gotten older, people like, I, I've got no time for people like Vince McMahon, uh, because of what you just said, the, the lack of thanks, you know, it's, uh, you know, we, when, when, you know, we both know Vince probably, you know, much better than most of the fans do. But, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I admit up front, running an industry, especially one as large as WWE, that's got to be an incredible burden. You know, he's got a lot of people around him to do it. But that doesn't foreclose or, or preclude you from having to be a human being. You know, you, right. when you go into the office, right. it doesn't it doesn't take anything to say thank you, uh, even right. if you don't mean it. Yep. Uh, you know, the, but the right. words land, land, land in the right place. That's just something he's not going to ever do. Yeah. Now, listen, John and Chad, I'm, I'm sure you guys, you know, first of all, I hope you guys really understand the, 
the honor and the privilege you have of working with the great Shane Douglas. But you guys know, like I do, I do a show on the Realm Network, and I have a show called Castrating the Mark. <laughs> with all due respect, with all due respect, John and Chad, would you like me to castrate the great Shane Douglas right now? Uh -oh. Oh, please. Uh, definitely. Yes. Hey, as a, yes. pay, as a paying Shane, brand member, I get it for I free. Absolutely. Okay, guys, I swear to God, this is up there in my top three moments of all time. I was working at TNA. Me and Shane were working at TNA, bro. I was working with Shane, and we were working, you know, Orlando, uh, you know, the Universal Studios, whatever the heck they call it. And, bro, uh, one night when we were working there um, at the Hard Rock Cafe, Paul Stanley was giving a concert to date the night after our show. Yeah. So, um, you know, Shane and I were very, very tight with Dale Torborg, bro, one of the nicest guys you'll ever want to meet. Forget the business. One of the nicest guys yeah. you'll ever want to meet in your life. R right, Shane? That's right. Yeah, this absolutely. Guy, I could agree more. Yeah, he'd give you the shirt off his back. So, bro, right. Dale brings, yeah, Dale brings, and Dale's a total kiss mark. So the three of us, me, Dale, and Shane, were total kiss marks. Shane, was there anybody else? I don't think so. I think it was the three of us that walked over after the taping. We walked over to the uh, House of Blues. Yeah, we walked. Okay, so me, Shane, and Dale, This guys, this is a true story. I, 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 every time I think of it to this day, I pop. So, Shane, you know, Paul Stanley had just come out with an, uh, a, a solo album at the time, Live to Win. And uh, right. we went to his concert, right? Shane, Shane, you know that. You know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. bro, the three of us had a blast. You know, Shane was singing along the whole nine yards. All right? <laughs> so, guys, after the concert, Dale brings us back to a green room. And he tells us he's going to get Paul Stanley and he's going to introduce us to Paul Stanley. Yep. So, bro, me and Shane are in there. Shane, am I right so far? <laughs> Absolutely on spot. Okay, because everybody says I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a big liar, Shane. So you got to confirm I'm telling the truth. <laughs> so, so, guys, uh, uh, Dale leaves. He leaves me and Shane alone, and he goes to get Paul Stanley. Bro, Shane comes back with Paul Stanley. And I will never forget this as long as I live. Freaking Shane before my very eyes transformed into a 12-year-old child. And Shane stood there. I swear, Shane, please, if I'm exaggerating, tell me. Shane no, I, stood I, I there. Yes, I'll never forget this. Shane stood there, eyes wide open, as Paul Stanley came in and outstretched his hand to Shane Shake's hand, and all Shane could say was, Paul Stanley, Shane, right or wrong? <laughs> Shane, right or wrong? Well, you're wrong on one point. It wasn't 12 years old. It was 10 years old. Shane, I will never as long as I live forget your reaction when, when we met Paul. It was Absolutely priceless, bro. Well, well, 
and, and plus it was, you know, it was a huge, you know, I, I grew up a huge Kiss fan like we all did, but also we had just seen an incredible show. I mean, he put on, you know, for anybody that's not a Kiss fan and says, well, well it's just a makeup and this and that, go see Paul Stanley without the makeup and, and watch what a true showman he is. Just incredible. And, you know, for us in our business, you know, seeing somebody that is so incredible and, and, and deft on stage uh, is astounding. You know, he, he, you know, we, we all like to try to hope that we can incorporate some of that charisma in what we do in yeah. the ring, but uh, he, he's incredible. He was a, yeah, a and great Chase, guy. The, the, the thing that really stood out to me, the one thing that really stood out is, I mean, you know, Shane, you know, me and you very much alike, you know, you know, kids yeah. were like our gods growing up and you know we yeah. saw them I, I mean you know bro larger than life the one thing that i'll never forget about that day bro is when he walked in as paul stanley out of costume out of makeup out of heels bro he was tiny remember that thing? <laughs> yeah that was the first thing i thought because remember growing up they all said they like were six one six two and you know I'm six one, so like when he he walked by me and he was about up to my nose, I was like, man, you know we're near. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, we, we realized that the heels had to be like four feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, that was, a, that was, a, that's one. Yeah, that that's like my my fondest moment of Shane. I'll never forget that as long as I live. What a great night that was. We had a good damn good time. Great time. Now, Great time. you know, I got to say, the thing with you two is that there are a lot of parallels with how you're perceived in wrestling. And Vince, I mean, like I said it before, I don't know if you heard, I'm a fanboy for you. I'm a brand subscriber. I listen to every show. So getting to know you and hear you on the shows and getting to know Shane the way we have, I mean, there's so many parallels to the way you guys are viewed in the business. Now, I, I would say I'd put you two one and two. I don't know if that's a great list that you want to be on, but I'm going to put you two as one and two as the... You know, you guys are the top outsiders looking in, and I can't say that being involved in both, like in this show, it's so it's such a relief because the two of you have such a view of what the business was, and are so like anti what it's kind of morphed into, that I could see how you two would get along and be such good friends. Yeah, and and you not only not not only that, guys. Let, let let me tell you what it is because the older I get, the more and more I understand. And listen, bro. Just, just throw the word out there, blackballed, because I, I, I'm, I'm blackballed from the business, and I, I'm sure to, I'm sure to some extent, Shane is blackballed from the business. But bro, it, it goes back further than that, and let me tell you exactly why. Because it's not just our views on the business today; it, it goes back further than that, guys. I, I'm starting a show on October 7th uh, on Westwood One, and it's called Truth with Consequences. And the reason why it's called that is because I generated all of my heat, bro, all of my heat by telling the truth and being honest, bro. It would have been so easy for me to lie and so easy for me to play the political game and move the chess pieces around. But no, bro, I'm an Italian man. I'm a proud man. And, and I stake my reputation on truth. And Shane will tell you, bro, here's the problem. People in the wrestling business don't want to hear the truth. You, you, you got right. a lot of workers. Yeah, I mean, Shane, you got a lot of workers. You got a lot of people jockeying for position. You got a lot of people stabbing each other in the back, walking over each other, 
talking about yep. each other. And when you've got guys like me and Shane that are just going to tell you the truth, bro, when you're truthful in the wrestling business, you're going to have issues. Shane, am, am I right about that? Again, spot on, uh, uh, Vince. <clears throat> you know, the, my, you know, this is no altruism to this. I was raised that way. And, you know, on a more pragmatic level, uh, you know, I learned very early in life that if I tell a lie, I'm going to tell another lie to cover that lie and 10 more to cover that second lie. And quite frankly, I'm too busy and, and too disinterested to try to remember how many lies I've told and what exactly I told Chad and what I told John and what I told you and to try to keep me straight. But you're right. The people in the wrestling business abhor uh, being told that truth, but you know, I always you know, take that a step further. Uh, uh, at the end of my run in '95 and uh, with WWF, uh, I had broken a bone in my back uh, on a Monday Night Raw in Richmond, Virginia. And afterwards, uh, you know, when I you know went to the doctors and stuff, I was you know, long story made sure I was that pain for weeks until that Saturday, which would be my final day working for them. And Vince McMahon accused me of faking an x-ray. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, people think like they do and they do like they think, meaning that's exactly what Vince would do if he were in that position. Uh, I still, you know, ha having been accepted to the medical school, I still haven't figured out how in the hell you would fake an, <laughs> an x-ray. But uh, just bizarre. And, 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 and a large part because of that. And I went to Vince at the end there and, you know, confronted him about the the, the abhor, uh, abhorrent money that he was paying me. I mean, it's embarrassing. Uh, Dave Meltzer one time said he didn't believe that. And I, I said, I'll, I'll give them to you. I'll, I'll send you copies of them as long as you print them in your newsletter, uh, which he refused. Um, you know, I've, I've got the proof and I've kept them all these years. I'll probably frame them just for posterity's sake. But, you know, when I confronted him about that after he had promised me to make me a very wealthy man, uh, and then I saw, you know, $1,400 in excluding draws, uh, over four months when I confronted him, he started raising his voice and I said, lower your, it was in the uh, Meadowlands or whatever it was the continental arena then. And I said, look, there was one man that could yell at me like that. His name was George Martin. And he's been in the ground since 1993. Don't even think mm -hmm. I'm going to sit here and take you browbeating me. And he did. He lowered his voice at that point. But, you know, I just, uh, I, Vince, you know this, and you can attest to this uh, the same as you. Every time whoever was paying me, I went there and worked my ass off. I uh, did the level best I could to get that character over. Uh, not just the Dean Douglas case, but every place that I ever worked. That's the way I was taught. Uh, but, you know, I, I won't sit back and have somebody treat me like a piece of garbage. That's not worthy. If, it, if I'm not worthy, then fire me and push me out the door. But, uh, you know, that's, that, that was my experience with Vince. And, you know, I, the, the stories that, you know, Chad and JP are both familiar with the stories, as are many fans, about the letter that I had saw that he'd written to Ivan Koloff. Uh, you know, we all could tell a million stories, you know, exhibiting Vince's total lack of, of, of you know, just being a human being. Um, you know, and, and I don't, I've never been able to figure out why. You know, it's like I don't take the, 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 the school of thought of the train uh, uh, of thought that says you've got to treat everybody like a piece of shit in order to be a successful businessman. I, I just don't buy into that. And it seems like that's something Vince lives in, in, in lives his life by and runs his company by.
Yeah, you know, Shane, that that's the thing too. Like when you know, in, in a case like Vince McMahon, and and the the reason why I ultimately left the WWE for WCW was one reason and one reason only. And I don't know if you've heard the story, but you'll know I'm I'm telling you the truth when I tell you this. You know, uh, Shane, he had just added SmackDown uh, without without talking to me, without you know giving me smartening up me and Ed Ferrari. He had just doubled our workload, and, and I and I was working yeah. 24 hours a day before that. So basically, mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to move my wife and my family closer to where my wife lived, so at least my wife would have some family support because I knew I'd I'd be at work 100 percent of the time. So when I when right. I when I proposed that to Vince, I said, Vince, I want to move my wife. It's not going to affect me working here. You know, if I got to go out there on the weekends to see my family, whatever the case may be. But you know, my wife is raising my kids on her own, and she needs help. And Shane, right. I'll never forget. Without missing a beat, he looked me dead in the eye, and he said to me, Vince, I don't know what the problem is. You make enough money now. To hire a nanny to watch your kids, and wow. Shane, right then and there, right then and there, this man just told me, "I don't give a shit about you, and I don't give a shit about your family." And bro, with all due respect, I don't care what you're paying me. You don't say that to to a proud New York Italian man that loves his Correct. family, and like. That was a wake up call. And Shane, I, my right hand to God, when those words came out of his mouth, I knew right then and there I cannot work another day for this man. And that that's, was it. That, that's that, why I left. I, 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 that doesn't surprise me one bit. Uh, I'd never heard that story, but it doesn't surprise me one bit. And I have no doubt that it's true. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a shame. You know, because it's like I just said a second ago, I think, you know, I've got a mantra in life that people think like they do and they do like they think. And saying that statement to you, that, that tells you where Vince has his family on the pecking order of priorities. Exactly. And, exactly. and, I, and I can honestly, God, if somebody right now said to me, Shane, I'll give you a gazillion dollars to walk away from your family and come live in this palace. I would tell them to sell that palace, that money and everything else up their ass. Uh, my boys are, as you know, my boys are everything to me. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, it just astounds me, you know, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess, but, uh, you know, I, but you know, you know, you know, Shane, you know, what's more astounding. Here's, here's what's astounding to me. Not the fact that he said that because I, I, I was not surprised. I mean, that that is Vince McMahon through and through, but what astounded me, Shane is, he didn't even have the common sense to realize, bro, you don't say that to a father with a family. <laughs> right, right. Like he, he, he couldn't even comprehend that that was the worst thing he could have possibly said to me because unlike mm-hmm. him, my family was number one to me. And, and he, sure. he couldn't fathom that, you know? Yep. That's it, it, it's astounding, you know, really. You take a step, you know, to me, the way I've always looked at this, I've spent, you know, so much time trying to figure him out. But, you know, here's a guy that should have, at this stage of his life, he's important. You know, one thing you can't say about Vince, he's certainly not lazy. 
But at right. what point, you know, like, like the saying it goes, you know, you're not going to take it with you. Um, at what point does Vince McMahon say, I'm going to enjoy, you know, all my hard work and, you know, and it's, you know, I've, I've known, had other friends uh, that ran businesses, obviously much smaller, but, you know, ran their lives the same way. And, and, you know, standing at their casket, you know, talking to their wives, you know, that all they had to say was all he did was work, you know, and I, that's, that's, you know, I, I work hard enough, but I'm certainly not going to put my work before my kids. Uh, and it's just, it just, he's a very, very odd human being. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. But what do you think it is well, though? I'm, I'm sorry, Shane, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to interrupt you, but what do you think it is though that makes you two such on a black ball list? I mean, is it because of the fact, yes, you, you do, you're both outspoken, you both say what you want, but in an era that, you know, to be fair, is close to 20 years ago for you, Vince, and then Shane, it's over 20 years since you were last there. What makes the act so hard to grind with these guys still in the, the management perspective that they're going to hold it against you guys that you believe in, you know, family values, you believe in pro- proper business ethics. Like, it's kind of yeah. hard to believe that that's going to be something that keeps somebody on the outside of, uh, of making a living for their family. It, it, well, I'm, it's I'm, not hard to yeah. – go ahead, Shane, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I can speak for Vince at the same time as I answer this. Uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that that we're outsiders looking in because I don't want to be a part of that club. Uh, you know, if, if like Ben said earlier about you know he we, we know how to play the game of professional wrestling, the politics and moving the chess pieces around. We simply chose not to do it. Um, you know, and and you know there, have, have there been some negatives to that probably, uh, but like I said, I put my head on a pillow at night and I look my boys in the eye and I can tell them uh, how proud I am of my career. Uh, without having to literally or figuratively kiss Vince McMahon's ass. Uh, like I've said how many times on this show, I want no part of that Hall of Fame as long as it's Vince McMahon deciding. I would be honored to be in that Hall of Fame if it was the fans voting, if it was uh, the fellow Hall of Fame members voting, if it was the people that wrote on our industry. That would, you know, I would burst at the seams with pride if that were the case. But for Vincent Mann to sit back and say, mm, not that he ever would, but to say, uh, I'm going to decide I'm going to put Shane Douglas in this year. Shove it up your ass, Vince. I don't want it. Yeah, you know, guys, if you would understand completely, like you would understand completely if you had, you know, put your time in what I call the wrestling bubble. And guys, you know, yeah. I was a fan, bro. Like, I, I was a fan, so it's not like you know, I was born and bred in the wrestling business from the time I was, you know, you know, Bruce Pritchett always says he's been in the wrestling business for 80 years because he was selling programs when he was 10. Well, well bro, that's, yeah. that's not me. Like, I was a fan, bro. I didn't start working for the WWE until I was about 34 years old. I had worked for CBS. I had worked. I had my own businesses. I've been out in the world. And then, guys, when I came from the world, and I entered the wrestling bubble, bro. It I could give an entire psychology class and a philosophy <laughs> class about the wrestling business because, bro, it's they're in their own world with different rules, and you know the the way of the outside world doesn't matter, and it's it's unbelievable, bro. And in that world, and, and Shane will tell you. In that world, bro, 
money, ego, number one. If it's not yep. number one, you're not going to work there. So if you're yeah. not putting your family on the back burner, if you're not putting the things that are important to you outside of wrestling on the back burner, you're not going to be there. And I think what happens in the case of Shane and myself is, bro, the older and older you get, like, you want to have nothing to do with that shit. And, you know, bro, there are a lot of people out there that don't like me and don't like the things I say. And what, what, what I say is, bro, I'm just trying to smarten you up because when you're yeah. 57 years old and you're <laughs> sitting at home, you're going to be saying the same exact things I'm saying now. So what, what I'm saying is don't, don't make freaking wrestling the be-all, the end-all, because if you're making that your number one priority in life, then things that really matter are you're probably not paying attention to. That's my message. And, and what it goes back to is people don't want to hear the freaking truth. Truth. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you both mentioned the, the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, it's kind of a sham. And it's funny, Shane, we always talk about how old school guys like Dominic DiNucci, who's former tag champion, was in the WWF forever, gets WWF, gets ignored. And then Vince, you always talk about how China kind of gets ignored and she's not allowed in. So it's a total farce. Well, exactly. To me, I mean, I, 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 go ahead, Shane. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, it's these are people that have earned their way in. You know, if, if there is some secret set of criteria to get in there how you know look take china you know laurie for for example uh you know the first woman champion and the man's division uh you know the eighth wonder of the world you know the whole thing i mean there's anybody that watched wrestling at that time anybody everybody that watched wrestling then knew who china was uh she was a consistent draw uh she was a consistent headliner for that company uh, you know, and so at the end of her career with some, you know, some, some personal issues, I don't know if anybody's been reading the newspapers lately. It seems like there's a whole hell of a lot of that going on around the world today, uh, that somehow they're, they're marked off and, uh, you know, Sam and Dominic Pinucci and, and, and the list can go on and on and on. Ivan Koloff, one of the two, only two men to ever beat Bruno San Martino, not in the hall of fame. I mean, that, this is what makes it a farce. I'm not proponing. Or, or starting some kind of a drive uh, to get myself into the Hall of Fame. In fact, if you ever watch my Twitter feed, you'll see how, you know, when the fans bring it up, I immediately shoot it down uh, for those reasons. I would be embarrassed to be put in that Hall of Fame uh, with those people that we just mentioned and a hell of a lot more that truly deserve it uh, not being there. And all the while, seeing people like uh, – uh, you know, Snoop Dogg and guys like that that have nothing to do with our industry. Uh, it would be like me suddenly being in the NFL Hall of Fame. What the hell would Shane Douglas be in the NFL Hall of Fame for? Uh, it, it, it's a farce. It remains a farce and, and, until it changes. And, and, and Vince could very easily do that. Uh, you know, I think there'd be a lot of fans that would be interested in voting on Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, I'm sure the, the current Hall of Fame uh, inductees would, would love to have a voice in that. Uh, that would make it a step closer to legitimate. And, you know, but, you know, this is, you know, for those of us like Vince and I that both know Vince, you know, like I've told you guys before, as long as Vince is breathing air, there is no way in the world he's going to cede any responsibility to anybody. Final decision will always be his. And, uh, yeah. 
And and that's that's exactly what I say too, guys. Like you know, listen, I was very close with Joni. I I loved Joni. Uh, we were close after she left the business. I was in contact with her when she was in Japan. Uh, so we had a relationship, and you know that's the thing, man. They're, they're always rallying to get China, like you know, put in the WWE Hall of Fame. And I'm like, guys, listen. Fans of, of Joni and people that knew Joni, bro, we know her contributions to the wrestling business. We know what she did. We know how unique she was. We know there'll never be another. Does she really need the validation from freaking Vince McMahon? Because that's, right. that's all the Hall of Fame is. Vince McMahon validates you. Bro, I, Vince, I need to be validated by God. That's the only person I need to be validated by. I don't need to be validated by Vince McMahon. And, and like, I, I love China and I love her fans, but I'm like, guys, we, we don't need freaking Vince McMahon to validate Joni Lauer. It, it's absolutely right. ridiculous. We know what she did. Period. End of story. Yeah. And, you know, you guys working together, I, I always think of just kind of like funny things. Like, for instance, who who is a great friend of our show, and, and me and Chad talked to him all the time, David Arquette, he wins the world title. And stupid things that Vince is in control of and Vince does. And Vince Russo, obviously, you got in trouble, you know, people saying stupid stuff about Arquette. But then Vince McMahon goes and gives an 11-year-old kid a tag title. And <laughs> we're not, you know, we're not talking about that. And I know, Shane, we talked about that in the show. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing ever? And people are getting on Arquette, who's world famous and a huge star, but no one's mentioning this little stupid kid that won the tag title who was 11 years old. Well, well, bro, not only that. I, I mean, I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was seeing clips from All In, you know, which, which I, I mean, you know, obviously, bro, this was the greatest show in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm watching clips, and I'm watching, a, I'm watching a parade of penises walking down yep. the ramp and I'm sitting here saying, bro, could you imagine if I would have wrote that? <laughs> could you imagine the lashback if Vince Russo would have wrote that? But the, the fact that, oh, this was Cody Rhodes and the Bucks, you know, and this was all in. Oh, well, now, now that's the greatest thing they've ever seen. Bro, if I would have written that, I would have been hearing about that for the next 30 years. <laughs> it's uh, you know, I, I one of the things I always say, Vince. Whenever I, I, I preface talking about the kids today, because like you know, anybody that's listening to me talk knows I'm very critical in the business today, much like you are. Uh, but the difference, I, I can put it in the context. I bookend it. Like I can still, even though it's been quite a while, I can remember being that young, young kid in the dressing room, eager to learn. Uh, thankfully. When I was in that dressing room, I was sitting in that dressing room <clears throat> with all legitimate future Hall of Famers. Uh, these were guys that were money draws, all of them. They all knew their craft and knew it well. And they were willing to teach it to a young snot-nosed kid like me. That's what these kids today don't have. Uh, you know, Remember we were talking about it back in TNA where, by and large, we had, like I was saying, like Mick Foley and I broke in together, right? There, you know, we could have decent matches, but there was not much I could teach Mick, and there was not much he could teach me because we were at the same level. And by sanitizing all of that out, uh, so the point I'm making is these kids today don't really know. 
Uh, they, they didn't see the business like we had grown up seeing it. Uh, they didn't come up in it the way that we had come up in it. And, you know, the, the, the whole respect factor and, you know, like finding that way. And I, I don't mean the kids are disrespectful, but I mean, as far as the product we're seeing in the ring. And so it's a much, to me, it's, it's a whole bunch of plagiarism. I see somebody go out and do a spot that gets a pop. Somebody go out and do the same spot and do it the exact same way because it got a pop for that guy, so it should get a pop for me. And we see this over and over. And I, I go to when I'm at these shows, because I still do hit some shows, uh, you'll watch the first match, second match, third match, fourth match, and you will see the exact same spots in the exact same setup one after the next, after the next, after the next. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. every time I see that, I think, my God, if Bill Watts was running this show, he'd be having a stroke right now. Because if you did even one spot that had been done earlier in the night, you were catching almighty hell. Um, it's just, you know, the kids, they, they, they don't. My mother used to say the smartest guy in the room is the guy who knows what he doesn't know. Uh, I don't think these kids know what they don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, Shane, but again, a lot of that goes back to the politics because I can't throw like to me, like, you know, like Shane said, when he was coming up, uh, he was sitting in a locker room with like the greatest minds and hall of famers. And it was the same with me, bro. Like when, when, when I just started in the WWE, like, man, I can remember sitting there and like, you know, listening to a guy like, you know, you know, Chief J Strongbow of the psychology of a match and shit like that. But again, bro, like Bret Hart, here's a perfect example. Bret Hart has said in interviews, he made it clear to Vince and everybody else, bro, the guy wants to be an agent. You know, he he wants to be an agent. He wants to pass along what, what he learned from, you know, people like Pat Patterson and people like that. But yet, bro, Triple H isn't going to hire a guy like Bret Hart. Are you freaking kidding me, bro? Like, how how could you turn down a Bret Hart offering <laughs> right. to be an agent of your company? There's only one way you can turn it down, bro, and that's freaking ego. So what, 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 what yeah. does Triple H do, bro? He surrounds himself with his buddies. He, he surrounds himself with people he can control. He, 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 he surrounds himself with people that are going to fall in line. And at the end of the day, sooner or later, that's going to affect your business. Bro, Joe Laurinaitis, Animal. Animal wanted yep. to be a trainer down at the fifth facility. They told Animal, yep. we've got nothing for you. You don't have <laughs> nothing for one half of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that, guys, but that's, that's exactly what we're talking about with politics yeah. and egos. You're going to keep the best guys out because you want to protect your spot, and you're going to wind up getting what we're seeing. Yeah, that's, that is exactly <laughs> – you know, I keep repeating myself, but that is exactly spot on. You know, it's uh, – and imagine – just for a second, the one name you brought up, imagine the impact that having a Bret Hart working with your young talent could have. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame, really, because these kids are being deprived of the opportunity to learn their craft. And like I've always said, with their athleticism today, which is absolutely jaw-dropping, uh, 
imagine if they knew how to encapsulate that into telling a story, into psychology, and to bring that angle to another level instead of just going out and vomiting up every move they know in five minutes. I, I'm, I'm truly astounded when I see these kids working because it, they, they, they seemingly defy gravity. Legitimately, it seems like they defy gravity, but it means nothing. And, you know, when you watch those shows and you sit and you watch match after match, you hear the sound of the audience, the excitement level of the audience dropping instead of going the other way like it's supposed to uh, because they're seeing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. It's funny that the ego of a guy like Triple H, eh, who would want Bret Hart known as the best, you know, psychology or the guy that, you know, he blocks matches, can put together matches. Uh, he's a great finish guy, you know, just one of the absolute best tag team wrestlers. Eh, who would want him to help out younger stars that really need all that help and more? Well, and guys, I, I can... Go ahead, Vince. You know, I can remember, guys, and this is where I was lucky. And and this is what people don't understand, bro. You know, and I don't give a shit. Like, I, I don't care if you <laughs> don't understand. Guys, I can remember. This is an absolute shoot. You know, Pat Patterson always used to have breast matches. And, bro, I can remember the, 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 the production meeting would break and the agent meeting would break. Bro, I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember Pat Patterson and Bret Hart sitting together on a golf cart in the back, you know, backstage, one of the big buildings. They were sitting together, and they were going over their match. And, bro, I knew what I was seeing. And, and, and I knew, bro, this, this is – I am seeing two of the freaking masters sitting down yes. together – discussing the art of professional wrestling and bro i they didn't know i was listening i i i I, you know i was off a few steps listening to every word they freaking said that's how i freaking learned bro those are things i experienced and it 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 was unbelievable bro The, the the conversation they had about the art of laying out a match was at a different level that they would not even understand today. But, you know, and right. again, he, he, is, he is Brett, and he could be passing that along. What, well, why isn't he? What, because Triple H doesn't like him? Okay, well, so <laughs> Triple H doesn't like him, so you're going to deprive how many people of having Bret Hart as a teacher? That's the problem, bro. I mean, that's it. The, yeah. the good people... The good people are on the outside looking in. You know, they, they want to do it their way, and 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 that's that's the problem. And all you got to do is look at the freaking numbers. I mean, that's all yep. you have to do is look at the numbers. The casual fans are gone. They're they're not watching wrestling anymore. They're gone. They got their hardcore fan base of about two and a half million people every Monday night. Mm-hmm. Shane, do you know? You'll appreciate this, Shane. Shane, I was standing there with Kevin Dunn one night. It was me, Kevin Dunn, and Vince McMahon. And Kevin mm-hmm. Dunn, it was like a Tuesday. So, like, the numbers had come in for, for Monday. And Kevin Dunn walked over to me and Vince, and Kevin Dunn said to me, to us, he goes, I've been doing this for a long time. He goes, I never in my wildest imagination thought, that professional wrestling 
could draw over 10 million people on a Monday night. Bro, when when Nitro and Raw were hot, wrestling was drawing 10 million people. Bro, now they're drawing two and a half million people, which means they've lost 75% of of their television audience. And me and Shane are the ones that are crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Vince, to to respond to something you said earlier, I I completely agree on the numbers. Uh, You know, like the old saying is, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, but you look at those now, like getting back to Brett uh, and, and, you know, because of some personality conflict, uh, the kids being deprived of that and all those numbers you speak about. Plus, every year at WrestleMania and all their big shows like uh, they're going to be in Australia here in a few weeks, uh, they're rolling out, you know, all the, the, the stars of yesteryear because they have to. Uh, the kids can't draw. That's not the kids fault. That's that's management's fault that they haven't gotten them into a position where they can draw like those stars of yesteryear, the Undertakers and the Shawn Michaels and the Steve Austins. Uh, that's not the kids' fault. That lays solely on the shoulders of the people running that company. And yep. you know, I, I, I guess the, the numbers you mentioned uh, and the uh, uh, the fact that they they have kids, younger guys on the on the car. I say kids not condescendingly, just because I'm an old fart. Um, uh, they have kids that, that can't carry a, a WrestleMania, and whose fault is that? Uh, it certainly isn't the kids. No, absolutely not. It's the system. Yes. Hey, and speaking of the system, let's talk about the system of when you guys both landed in WCW. Now, Shane arrived in July of 99, and Vince, obviously, you arrive in the fall. And we kind of have the infamous moment we're going to get to. I'm going to let John tackle that. But before we get into uh, what we really want to talk about here... What is it about Shane that a writer or a booker wants to pair him with a ridiculously hot girl and he gets paired with Tori Wilson <laughs> and every week has Tori Wilson on his arm? What is it about Shane, Vince, that makes you want to pair him with the hottest girl you can find? Well, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer that question honestly. And I'm not kidding. Bro, listen, if Shane was not on this show, this is exactly how I'd be answering the freaking question, bro. You, you got a guy... Uh, you know that that is a very attractive, good-looking man, and and is very smart and, and is very intelligent. So, like you know, it's I don't want to say Shane McMahon wasn't. I am though. I am not Shane McMahon. Shane Douglas. I am going to say this. <laughs> Shane Douglas was not out of the typical wrestler's mold, and I will say this and go on the record as saying this as a shoot. The typical wrestler is not very smart. <laughs> they're just not, bro. They're just not. And, bro, I say this all the time. The smartest wrestlers in the business were the wrestlers who went the furthest. Because, bro, what they did was they outthought everybody. And, and, and I don't want to say they outworked everybody, but they used their intelligence to their advantage. And, and I, I say that as a writer just based on my conversations with wrestlers. You know, bro, I knew who was intelligent, you know, and, and I knew, you know, who knew how to speak to me, what to say to me, how, how to present it, in what demeanor, okay? I, bro, I say this all the time. It's no mystery to me. The Rock is the, you know, biggest movie star on the planet today. He's the smartest wrestler I ever worked with. The smartest mm-hmm. 
wrestler I ever worked with. So when you look at Shane, bro, you're looking at an attractive guy, you know, great physique, intelligent, very, very intelligent guy. So that's why it would always make sense that Shane always got the hottest girl. I think we need to have uh, add a fourth member to this show each week. <laughs> Thanks, Vince. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's the truth, though. It's the truth. Do you remember, Vince, the uh, the first TV tape you were at? I, I can't remember what town it was, but we were sitting in the back in the uh, catering area. Uh, me, Benoit, Malenko, and Perry were sitting there. And you came walking over and you sat down at our table and started talking with us. And, uh, you know, I, I, that was so atypical to me, you know, that, that, that somebody would do that. And you, you, you know, honest to God, lived up to everything you said that you told us that day at the table, uh, you lived up to. And, you know, that, that was atypical. I, I often talk about ECW because, you know, the great experience I had there, but, Paul Heyman was not somebody that would come over and stick to what he told you, you know? So, uh, that was always appreciated. I know, uh, uh, Dean and Perry and, and, and Chris all appreciated it too, especially, you know, like as it was nearing the end and, and, and all that debacle of politics that you were talking about earlier was taking over there. Uh, it, it was, it was a shame. But I want to, I want to add something in here real quick because, uh, you, you know, because of the, 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 the trolls that come in and, and, you know, add their two cents to things, you were put in an impossible position because you were put into a position that when WCW hired you, uh, they wanted ratings two weeks ago. And the pressure, I can't even imagine, you and I have never spoken about it, but I'm sure the pressure must have been unimaginable that they were putting on you Uh to get those ratings and you know, that that's a, you know, until somebody invents a time machine, that's never going to happen. Uh, I didn't envy the position that, they, that you were in. Well, Shane, it, it, it wasn't only that, like here, here's the fact of the matter. I knew, I knew we had a, we had to elevate the mid card because, you know, the, the, the guys, you know, the flares and the Hogan's and those guys were getting long in the tooth, bro. And you had yeah. these hungry, hungry, talented, younger jackals biting at their heels. And I knew yeah. for the good of the company, for the good of WCW, we needed to elevate these guys. But guys, you also have to know, I knew that was going to cost me my job. I, I mean, I knew, I knew the veterans were going to go to management. They were going to work management. This Russo doesn't know what he's doing, yada, yada, yada. And that's, I yeah. knew that was going to happen before it happened. That's exactly what happened. But, bro, I have no regrets whatsoever because the position they put me in as the head writer at WCW, that was the right thing to do, and that was what the company needed. Now, if politically they wanted to take me down, then, bro, take me down politically because I know at the end of the day you're going to be the ones that that, that are hurt, not me. And that's that's exactly what happened. Now, there's something it. that I wanted to talk about with obviously Shane. We've talked about this before, but now that we have Vince on, I got to talk about it. And it does tie into our new sponsor, Blue Chew. So it's perfect. So it was the <laughs> Viagra on a pole match from July of 2000. 
And it's funny that we're still talking about it 20 years later. We're still talking about this match. And Shane, you were joking around about it, obviously, weeks ago with the show. But Vince, do you remember yeah. Shane and the Viagra on a pole match? I, you know what? I, of course I remember the match. I, I did not know. I think, Was Kidman in that match? It yes. was, yeah. Was in the match. Yes. Billy Kidman, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, I did not remember the specifics. But, guys, I got to tell you, this, this is what's fascinating to me. You know, you guys are bringing up something from July of 2000. Bro, I cannot tell you what happened on SmackDown last night. <laughs> I, I mean, and that's the god honest truth and, and like that's that's why when people pe- I, I love when people like bring up Arquette with me i'm like bro do you like do you understand that happened 20 years ago what what happened on <laughs> raw last night they don't even know what happened yeah. on raw 24 hours ago bro right <laughs> it, yeah it's yeah, uh I, I, guys my my philosophy was this here was always my philosophy in writing, bro. Bro, I, I was a wrestling fan. I saw a lot of wrestling. Bro, I always put myself in the fan's perspective. I never wanted to see something I saw a million times before. Like, if I was writing something, bro, and, like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, bro, I saw this between Dusty and Sting, or I saw this between Bruno and Stan Stasiak, like... Every time when I was writing stuff and I know I saw it, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, bro, no. We've been there and done that. So I used to go out of my way, bro, to give everything a new look. Well, shit, we've never seen this in a wrestling ring before. And, bro, it's so funny because when you watch wrestling today, and I'm talking about storylines, you know, which there, there aren't even any, but it's like the ones that they do have, you've seen a million times before. And, you know, that, that was the one thing I always tried to do. I always tried to give wrestling fans something that they've never seen before, that was never done before, that they would be talking about around the water cooler. I mean, that's, that's what I tried to deliver. Well, and that people did talk about it. You know, I, I, I have a couple of guys, a couple of friends of mine, I call my Twitter kids because, again, they're much younger uh, and they're much more astute than I am with computers. Uh, but uh, they said to me oh, about a year or two ago, they said, uh, you know, we wish that we were uh, young enough uh, or old enough, rather, to be fans when you guys were wrestling. And I said, well, who, who in the world wants to be older than they are except, you know, some young, young kid? <laughs> And they said, I said, why in the hell would you want that? And they said, well, because uh, when you guys were wrestling, it, it was cool to be a wrestling fan. Now you're considered a dork. And I said, wait, you mean like it, it's not cool to be a wrestling fan anymore? And they were like, oh, my God. And it, that's when it really opened my eyes uh, yeah. was, you know, how blessed we were you know, on, on two bookends, how blessed we were that we were able to be in the industry at that time and to see those sold out houses night after night, packed houses, huge paychecks, uh, a, a fan base that was uh, just so full of energy and, and, and driving. Uh, now, you, you know, you look at it, you watch Raw or SmackDown, and I, I give you credit, Vince, because I try to. And, and no matter how hard I try, I can't get past 15, 20 minutes. And, and, and I'll sit down and tell myself, like, don't be critical, just, you know, watch it and see if you get what's going on and and within 15 20 minutes i'm cussing and i'm you know throwing something at the tv because <laughs> I'm just, 
doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm the same way. Like I'm the same exact way. But what what pisses me off more than anything, guys, is first of all, let me say this: whether we like the style in the ring or not, it doesn't matter. The guys today and the girls today in the ring, when the bell rings, bro, they are working just as hard as the James Ellis did, bro. Harder. This is why I love. This is why I loved wrestling, bro, and and I loved working with the boys, bro. These are blue collar guys. These are blue collar guys, bro. That every time they are in that ring, there could be three people in the audience. They're they're gonna kill themselves. They're gonna go balls to the wall. Wrestlers have, bro, a level of pride that I've never seen in any other human being. And that, that's why I respect the hell out of wrestlers. But where I'm critical is I'm looking at the creative aspect of it. And I right. know the effort we put in creatively. And I know, bro, every one of those scripts, I mean, it was our blood, our sweat, and our tears, bro. And rewriting and dotting I's and crossing T's and getting talents input. And we put so much, they were our babies, bro, because our name was on them. And I watched today's show. I swear to God, bro, I can book these roars that you see today in 15 minutes that they, they are going through the motions. They're house shows. It's not a television show. They are televised house shows. And that's where I get pissed off because, bro, if you're going to ask me to watch your show, then put the freaking effort in and gain my viewership. Don't 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 right. sleepwalk through the writing and producing of this show. And that's where I get pissed off because, from a writing perspective, I know what it freaking takes to get people to watch the show. Sure. Well, I, I think we come from different different ends of the spectrum. I, you know, obviously because of our background and experience, you look at it from that standpoint of how much effort you had to put in to create those shows back then. And I'm looking at it from the standpoint of the wrestlers, and you know, just looking at looking at the same uh, target, but we're coming from different aspects. That's why I always say every time I do an interview or, or talk or do seminars. I preface a thousand times as I'm doing it. I'm not criticizing the kids because they're being, they're doing exactly what they're being told to do, which is the proper thing in any job you hold. But I, I, I hold the people, like I said a few minutes ago that are writing this stuff, the people that are running the company, because like when a kid comes up to me today and says, uh, Shane, can I ask you like, what kind of advice could you give me? And I, and I tell them, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I'm not trying to be snide. I'm not trying to be off putting. I wouldn't even begin to know what advice to give them today because a, it's not the wrestling industry. Uh, B, I, you know, I, what I'm watching on TV now is not what we did. So I wouldn't even begin to know how to explain to a kid today, well, you should do this or that. Like I was told from all those, you know, superstars from yesteryear, uh, uh, you know, like I said a few minutes ago, you know, we, we've reached that stage where, you know, we would like to be younger, but I'm thankful to God. I'm not a 20 year old breaking in today. Uh, and that I look at from at the business from where I sit, because I wouldn't even begin to know how to traverse this industry but, today. But Shane, let me tell you this. Okay. Let me, and I agree with, I agree with everything you're saying. However, Shane, 
if Shane Douglas were one of those 20-year-old kids today, and Shane Douglas has the, 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 um, the skills that you have, and Shane Douglas has the confidence that he has in himself, that 20-year-old, 22-year-old Shane Douglas today, bro, is not going to fall in line and keep his mouth shut. That, no. <laughs> that 20-year-old Shane Douglas is going to know, you know what? I know I'm better than this, and I know how good I am, and I know I could be the top guy. And, you know, by God, I am going to open my mouth and not just fall in line and collect a paycheck. I know you're going to do that, Shane. So where, where I agree with you, bro, if you're just falling in line and keeping your mouth shut and earning a paycheck, then, then you've got nothing to complain about. But, it, but it, right. if you're hating what you're doing and you're hating the creative and you know you're not moving up in the card and you know you're not growing as a performer and you know there is so much inside that they're not tapping into and you're not opening up your mouth because you're afraid. Bro, what are you afraid of? If, if, if they wind up firing you and you know how good you are, it's their loss, not yours. So, like, yeah. whereas I, I agree with you a thousand percent, Shane, about it's the system. But, bro, if you are that special athlete and you know, bro, I'm not just going to be another wrestler on the card. I want to be the best and you're not opening up your mouth, then, bro, I don't feel sorry for you. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right there. It's, uh, it's you know, I, I guess I, I watch these kids today, and whether it's a, an independent show, whether it's turning on the television, uh, whether it's watching a pay-per-view or a YouTube clip, I, I, I'm truly astounded at the athleticism. And like you said a minute ago, how the effort that they're putting in, you said they were working as hard as, I think they're working 10 times harder than we worked. Uh, the the Great, effort yep. is amazing. Uh, nobody's being lazy. Uh, but, no. you know, it's, I, I, I can still remember like when the light bulb went on. Steve Austin and I talked about this on his podcast. Uh, we both agreed it was about seven years before we both started really getting the swing of it and, you know, truly understanding it. And, uh, you know, like riding a bike, how hard you think it's impossible when you first start, and then suddenly you get it, and the next time you jump on, it's 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 easier than you could have ever imagined. Uh, that's that's what our business should be. And when I see these kids going out there and killing each other, I'm seeing these. You know, you, you every seem like every time you turn on the computer, you're seeing, you know, some clip of somebody getting their teeth knocked out, or you know, some you know stupid injury that's just based off of not taking care. Uh, you know, and I keep asking myself, like, why? You know, what what, what is yeah. urging them to do this, and where? You know, where's the safety factor? You know, you don't. Where I came from, the way I was trained, if I don't know that I can land Vince Russo safely, or or do this move or spot to him safely, if not a hundred percent of the time, damn close to hundred percent of the time, then I'm not going to try it. And you know, it's. Uh, but again, I mean, there's a million vestiges of what the business used to be that I'm not seeing today. And, and, you know, again, you can't place any of the blame on the kids because I didn't learn that in a book. I learned it on the road. Uh, I learned about yeah. working with all those guys I'd mentioned. And I think that, you know, the, the biggest thing they've done, like, you know, Bret Hart being turned down for an agent's position, Joe Laurinaitis 
you know, these guys, uh, and plus the kids now not being in the ring with, with guys with far more experience. That's how this industry has always been handed down and learned. And uh, I just don't see how, I don't see in the system as it is now, anything changing other than uh, for the last 15 years, each subsequent year, the ratings have been lower than the year before. And I'd be betting a dollar to a donut that next year they'll be below where they are now. And the year after that, below where they are next year. That's not good. Uh, yeah. You know, I, yeah, no, I'm Shane, what, 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 what the wrestling business has done. And, bro, nobody's done this but the wrestling business. The wrestling business has done this to themselves. The Correct. entire world was once watching professional wrestling. They right. managed, the WWE have managed to take the entire world and narrow that down to a niche market. That's it. Yep. Wrestling now is a, it's like freaking roller derby used to be. Wrestling yeah. is a niche market. Bro, to go from 10 million people to two and a half million people, bro, you did that to yourself. Nobody, yeah. people did not just stop wrestling. And bro, here's the problem. They're kowtowing to the two and a half million rather right. than find out from those seven and a half million why are you people not watching anymore but that, that and that gets back to me and Shane they don't want to hear that bro they, they, they right. don't want to hear from the seven and a half million people why they're not watching anymore they want to hear from the two and a half million people how great they are and this is awesome and you know the whole nine yards they don't want to hear the negative side of that why 75% of the people, they don't want to hear that. And, and man, That's when true. you look at that from a business <clears throat> point of view, that is death, bro. What, why do you think they're going to Australia? And why do you think they're going to Saudi Arabia? Why do you think they're going through all those countries? Because they don't have the business in the state that they once had. And that's nobody's that's fault but their own. But they don't. They don't want to hear from anybody, bro. They, they they only want to be told, you know, how how great they are, and you know how much we we love everything that they they're, they're doing today. And bro, like I yeah. said, from a business perspective, you want to know why your customers stop coming to the freaking store. That's what. That's Absolutely. what I wanted to know when I owned the business. That's so. Those are the people I want to talk to. Right. Well, I'm sure you'll agree. I, I, I completely agree with you, but I'm sure you'd agree. You and I have been wrestling fans since we've been knee-high to a grasshopper, and I'll be a professional wrestling fan to the, to the last breath I take. Uh, every wrestling fan. I, I've never known a wrestling fan that became a fan at six, seven, eight, nine years old and 20 years later said, ah, I've outgrown it. Uh, what I've seen, though, is I've seen people outgrow sports entertainment. And when you look at that, the 75% you're talking about, those fans are still out there. They, they haven't been, so, I hope there haven't been a rapture that we've been left behind on, but they're still out there and their money is just as green as everybody else's. And if I'm going to be selling whatchamacallits, I'd rather sell them to the 75 or hundred percent than I would 25%. It's it's yeah. bizarre. I've always yeah, heard this Shane, phrase Shane, genius. Yeah, Shane, that that was the TNA model. That was, and look at where TNA model is. The TNA model is we're gonna get that hardcore fan base, and 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 Don West is gonna bang them over the head to milk every freaking penny out of them that he can. 
that that was the mm-hmm. TNA model. The TNA model was not we're going to get the masses and we're going to sell to the masses. No, the TNA model was we're going to cater to the people we already have and we're going to yes. bang them over the head to get as much money as we can. And my, my philosophy has always been, bro, the more people that you can get to watch your show, the freaking more people you have to sell to. Absolutely. That's right. Now, if I could just mention real quick about the revolution, because we met, you know, we touched on them. But Vince, what were your thoughts on that group and kind of where were they headed? Because that seemed like one hell of a stable of young guys with Shane at the helm and leading, you know, Benoit and Saturn and Malenko. I mean, that's just an awesome faction. Well, you know, guys, I, I people too, like I get criticized for this all the time, like because and, and like, you know, even Eric Bischoff has said this in interviews like Eric Bischoff would say, you know, I, I would sit in a creative meeting with uh, I would sit in a creative meeting with Vince and he couldn't tell you where he was going the next week. And yeah, bro, you're absolutely right. I couldn't tell you where I was going the next week for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm writing this week's show, bro. And this week's show is upon me because we're writing two shows every week. So I want to write the best show I possibly can this week. Now, once I write the best show I possibly can, how do you write the show the following week? It's real simple, bro. Logic. Logic. If you know your characters and you put yourself in the shoes of every character on that show, you know what that character is going to do next based on what they did the week before. So now it's just logic, because I I know what Shane Douglas is going to do if this happened to him last week. On top of that, bro, I am now looking at the ratings of this past week's show. What worked? What didn't? I'm looking at the minute by minute. When did the numbers go up? When did people turn the television sets off? And I am adjusting all that data I'm receiving for the next week. So, um, bro, when you've got when you're writing two shows a week, you don't have the luxury of sitting there and planning a month or two months or six months ahead of time. You don't have that kind of time. So you've got to concentrate on the shows at hand. I'm going to write the best shows I can this week. When I sit down to write next week's shows, we're going to start with logic. What would these cuts, what would these characters do under these set, set of circumstances? And basically, bro, the show is going to organically write itself. It's going to organically play out. That's how I wrote the television show. Hey, let me step in for one second. And before we get into today's second half of the episode with Vince Russo, Shane, why don't you tell us a little bit more about BlueChew.com? Hey, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes used to have a saying, take care of business, baby. And if you got business to take care of tonight with your better half, the best way to do it is get to BlueChew.com right now because only right now. If you use the promo code franchise, you're going to get your first shipment free. And all you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling, making sure, like Dusty said, Take care of business, baby. You're going to be able to take care of it right tonight. It's the first ever chewable, so you're not going to have to wait at that doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast-acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. So if you've got business to take care of tonight, like the American Dream said, take care of it right. BlueChew.com and the promo code FRANCHISE. 
Yeah, and you can't deny that there was success there because what you did, you know, there was, has its detractors, but obviously it's got its uh, its major pluses and some great uh, some great things to look back on. Now, before we get into the wrap up here with you, Vince, we got to mention the tenure in TNA. So you guys both sync up in TNA. Shane had a couple since there, and, and Vince, obviously, you did as well. Shane's departure, not really, uh, you know, one of the best I, I could probably write down for my partner, and obviously you too. But was TNA any different? For either one of you, did you see when you guys both got there that there could be some possibilities of things going a little bit better, but ultimately, you know, kind of headed in the same situation? Well, I, I'll, I'll start. Uh, you know, for me, yeah. I, I When I got there and I saw, first of all, the talent that was there when I got there was solid. And then shortly after that, we saw the AJ Styles and Samoa Joes and Bobby Roods and Team Canada come in. And I was excited. Uh, especially whenever I moved to, to, to be uh, the lead agent, uh, that was exactly what transition I'd seen for my, for my career. And uh, I was very excited by that. And then when Vince came in, I, you know, I'd worked with Vince before Vince and I've been friends for years and, and, uh, you know, this is all coming together. Plus the most important, I will say the most important factor, but an equally important factor was that we had a company uh, Panda energy behind us. that had the deep pockets, the resources, to put this show together and, and really compete. Unfortunately, we saw all of that flush down the drain because truth be known, Dixie Carter didn't want to hear what Vince Russo had to say. She didn't want to hear what Shane Douglas had to say, Mick Foley, Terry Funk, or anybody else that came into those buildings. Uh, it, it was a constant slog fight and battle. But the thing that was maddening for me, and I don't know if Vince, you knew this, but Dixie would call me and she would say, uh, well, at the TV taping, she would come to me to the green room and she would say, well, this is what Vince Russo wants to do this week. What do you think about that? And I would give her like my narrative on it. And, you know, and, and then she would say, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to have to change this or that. And then she'd call me up later that week and she would say, uh, the fans are screaming online about it. But to her, the 25 fans that she was interacting with online was the fan base. And she adjusted everything to and from that. And I would keep explaining, and this went on for five years, the entire five years I was there, that she was there and I was there together. I don't know if it was the full five years, but she would, you know, never once take a piece of advice and then call me up several days later or a week later and say, well, you, you know, you were right about this. What, what, you know, what should we do now? And what, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not your booker. I'm just your agent. And, and it was like, honest to God, talking to a wall. And it was so maddening that you remember when I was there, it was uh, towards the end, I was so disinterested, but I, I've got to, to, to throw something in here because it's, it's been on my mind the entire time we've been talking on, on, on this podcast. Uh, Vince Russo went to bat for me. Uh, you know, this was when I was in the throes of the Oxycontin and uh, I had, you know, my marriage was on the rocks. I had small children at home and, uh, you know, Vince came to me one day and he said, uh, uh, Jerry Jarrett wants to fire you because I, I was sleeping. I had been doing uh, interviews all afternoon and I didn't have anything to do for a couple hours. So I went to the green room and took a nap. And, uh, you know, Vince came to me and, and really went to bat for me when several other people uh, who shall remain nameless that were supposedly my quote unquote friends, uh, I later found out, you know, went behind and stabbed me in the back. The one thing that somebody that was in the situation that I was in doesn't need is people stabbing them in the back. Um, 
what what Jerry Jarrett's actions did to me is uh, forced me to try to conceal even more rather than seek help because you know this was my job this is how I fed my family and so you know rather than come and talk to me about it uh, there was these accusations and finger pointings and you know and everything else rather than seeking help Vince Russo was the only person in TNA that came to me and tried to help and, and had my back. And I've always respected that. I've always appreciated it. And, you know, again, we're looking at a world today that's much different than it was in 2005, six and seven, uh, where millions of people are in that exact same situation. And I'm sure just like I was at that time, trying to figure a way out of that maddening maze, uh, mm. you know, so on, on this podcast, I'd like to thank you for that because, you know, it, even though there were so many others that didn't, uh, that really, really struck me uh, and humbled me that, that that there were still some human beings in our business. Yeah, you, you know, you know, Shane, you want to hear a story on that, and I do appreciate that. But to me, it was people first. Like I was working with human beings. It was people first. We were doing a television show. And, bro, that right. reminds me of a time. And, and, and what, what Shane Guy said about Dixie is it all goes back to truth again. Shane Douglas yep. and I were the type of people that Dixie's going to ask us something. We're going to tell her the truth. Now, she necessarily yep. didn't want to hear the truth. She wanted to hear a certain something from us. But, no, you're gonna, I can't tell you how many times I got yelled at by Dixie Carter because I didn't agree with her and I told her the truth. She never fired me. Because she knew she had to hear the truth from somebody, but I used to get in so much heat and hot water by telling her the truth. But then, guys, you know, here comes a Bruce Pritchard, here comes an Eric Bischoff, here comes an, a Hulk Hogan, all three of them playing their violin, and they are going to work her to the T. They're going to tell her exactly what she wants to hear. And now they're going to be in favor. And you're going to have these two schleps like, you know, Shane Douglas and Vince McMahon telling you the truth all the time. So, Dixie, we know what the end result is. These guys are freaking working you. They know how to work you. They're telling you what you want to hear. We know what the end of result is. So if you want to get work, be work. But we're, we're not the guys that are going to do this. But something like what, what, what Shane says, guys, do you remember that uh, – very, very forgettable night with uh, Jeff Hardy and Sting. Oh, I'm for- yeah. yeah, unforgettable. Yep. Okay. Guys, <laughs> let me tell you a story. And this is what I mean about, about human beings, bro. That A week before that show, Jeff Hardy came, showed up at work, just out of it. Now, guys... Yeah. As a person that has never taken, you know, Shane had the uh, problem with oxycodone. As a guy that has never taken, bro, I've never taken any medication in my life outside of an aspirin. I've never taken pills, pain, you know, painkillers, oxycodone, uppers, downers, nothing. So, bro, when I would see an athlete that I thought would be under the influence, the first thing I would I would say is, bro. I've never been under the influence. So I can't accuse somebody of, you know, being on drugs or oxycontin because I've never been there. 
So I can't accuse somebody. Even though I suspect it, I can't accuse it. So, bro, what I used to do is I would get one of the boys. And in this case, I got D'Lo Brown. And I said, D'Lo, go check on Jeff in the locker room. You know, talk to him, whatever. You know, and come back and let me know what you think. And the reason why I'm asking D'Lo is D'Lo's one of the boys. And D'Lo, I'm sure, you know, spent his time, you know, being in a state like that once or twice. Everybody had, you know. So, bro, D'Lo came back and he says, Vince, he goes, he's, he's pilled out of his mind. And D'Lo goes, bro, we can't put him in the ring tonight. You know, forget about what he may do to himself. Bro, I think it was working Matt Morgan that night. Bro, you, you can't put Matt Morgan in harm's way. Like, Jeff right. can hurt somebody bad. And we, we got to think about that first and foremost, bro. We got to think about the, the, the human being. So I said, deal without a doubt, you know, we'll rewrite the show, whatever we got to do, but I'm not, I'm not going to let Jeff hurt himself. I'm not going to let Matt get hurt. So Dixie had not arrived at the building yet. Okay, bro. So we mm-hmm. called Dixie. Dilo and I called Dixie and said, Dixie, listen, this is the condition. This is a week before the Sting thing, bro. This is a condition Jeff Hardy is in. Dixie, we can't, we can't put him on the show tonight. He, he's going to hurt himself or he's going to hurt somebody else. So Dixie, okay, I'm on my way to the arena. Whatever you guys decide, you guys are in charge, yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine, no problem. She shows up at the building, guys, about 15 minutes later. She finds me and D'Lo. She goes, Where, where's Jeff? So we told her where Jeff's locker room was, this, that, and the other thing. She goes and she disappears to, to talk to Jeff Hardy. Okay, bro? She comes back and she tells me and D'Lo, oh, no, Jeff's perfectly fine. He's, he's just tired, bro. He's been on a lot of plane five flights and traveling all over. Oh, no, bro. He's perfectly fine to work tonight. No, make, make sure you put him on the show. He's perfectly fine. And yep. me and D'Lo just looked at each other like, anybody could work Dixie Carter, bro. Like, anybody could work. Dixie Carter, but Jeff was in that same spot that Shane was in. I got to hold right. this. Oh, my God. If, if they don't let me perform tonight, they're going to think something's wrong with me. Bro, the show came freaking second. You're a human being, bro. You got a wife. You got a family. If you have a problem, we've got to fix that problem. You know, this is a television show, bro. This is in life and death. But, you know, sure enough, Dixie let Jeff wrestle that night, and the very next week, the incident happened with Sting. Oof, man. Yeah. Go ahead, Jane. And, and, and hardly a surprise, right? I mean, you know, it's like you said, Jeff, you know, we both know Jeff. There's no way that Jeff would have willingly gone out there and hurt somebody or jeopardized somebody. But when Dixie went in there and Jeff's here, he heard if you don't perform, and even, I'm sure Dixie didn't use these words, but what his interpretation was, if I don't perform tonight, I'm going to get fired, something bad's going to happen, and so I'm going to make up every lie I can to conceal that, because otherwise, the the edge of the cliff is near, and and look, it it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see this or figure this out, Uh, 
it, you know, it's, I, I remember those times when Jeff was like that and he was a mess. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, imagine, you know, we, we could talk about it now, you know, in, in, in you know, in the past tense, but <clears throat> things there could have gone much, much worse than they even did. And yeah. thank God they didn't, uh, because, you know, Jeff's a hell of a guy that he would have gone in there and hurt somebody. <clears throat> I'm sure he probably would have mattered to himself if he hurt himself. But if he had gone in there and hurt somebody seriously in that ring or worse, uh, he'd never been able to live that down. And only because the lady running the place refused to listen to the people that had their finger on the pulse and were, in her words, running the show, uh, had the autonomy, but they didn't really have the autonomy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's the thing too, bro. Like, you know, a, a lot of people too, you know, will, will point to, you know, Oh, you know, what, what a failure, you know, TNA was like under me, bro. I hate to break the news to everybody. When Shane was there and we were doing the best that we could, and we were running on all four cylinders, bro. TNA was doing two mil- two million people a week. WWE is doing two and a half million now. TNA was doing two million viewers a week on Spike. They're doing 250,000 now, bro. So you see, everybody's got that narrative out there. But the bottom line is, bro, you can't wipe out the facts. You can't wipe out the numbers. The the stuff is there for anybody to go look at. Um, But, man, we, we had up to two million people watching that show but again bro the wrestling business is always responsible for killing the wrestling business they 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 always do it to themselves bro because you know ego gets involved and politics get involved all that stuff power gets involved money gets involved and then before you know it bro you 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 you, you lost it you lost it yep. and, and that's that, that, that was it at every single stop I was at. The, the wrestling business would destroy the wrestling business. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. The, the funny thing is, too, like people will say, Shane, all the time, oh, well, but, you know, now the stock, the stock is more than it's ever been. And, you know, now, now they're going to deal with Saudi Arabia and this and that and business is booming and this and that. And you know what I say to that, bro? I don't doubt business is booming, okay, bro? I, I don't doubt that the stocks are sky high. But what if the show were, was actually good? What, 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 right. what kind of business would they be doing if the show was actually good? Bro, if 10 million people were watching that show again and not 2.5 million people, what would the numbers be? They better be doing those numbers, bro. They're the only game in town. The WWE is the only game in town. Yes, bro, they're going to have high stocks. And yes, they're going to get money from Saudi Arabia and other countries. What if the product was good? What would they be making then? That's my point. They're they're, they're the only wrestling company in the freaking United States. They better be having making money on stock prices. Hey, so Shane, should should we cancel Dixie for next week after all that? It, no, we got to have Ron now because I can't wait to ask. This. <laughs> go ahead. 
Uh, is he really, is he is he really coming on? Next? No, 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 no. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would lo- I would love to, Dick, to interview Dixie. She would not do that in a million years. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Vince. One of the things that I always found odd. Remember how many times we would need to have somebody from the company play the figurehead, and you obviously couldn't go out there, and you know, none of us were seen. You know, me, Terry, Tanner, Jerry, and none of us were seen as as that level. And she would always tell us, "I'm I'm not I'm management, not on air talent." So you know, a, a year or two after I leave, I turn the show on one night, and she's out there doing the double crab pose with Hogan and getting power bombed to the table by Bubba. So boy, somebody got smitten <laughs> by the bug, didn't she, bro? Shane, <laughs> you want uh, Shane, you want to hear a hysterical story? Remember Hell Andy yeah. Barton. Remember Andy Barton? Yes, I do. Dixie had Andy Barton call me to pitch the idea to me of what a great idea it would have been to put Dixie on TV. And I said to Andy, I said, Andy, let's cut to the chase. Just tell freaking Dixie to call me. Like I, I do, yeah. do we really have to go through this? Like we're in the we're, we're thirteen. Like, do you not know? I don't know. Dixie telling you to freaking call me. I said, will you tell freaking Dixie if she wants to be on TV? It's her company. All she has to do is freaking call me. But that that's how she got on TV, bro. Andy Barton called me to tell me what a great idea that would be. He never ever ever called me for anything creatively. The whole time I was there, but for that. And I was like, Andy, just tell me. If Dixie wants to be on TV, just tell her to call me. (laughs) (laughs) You want to hear something funny, bro, about that spot? Yes. Bro, I I can't. I I don't think I was working. I wasn't working for the company at the time, I don't think. I catch wind that Bub is going to put Dixie through a table. Okay, bro? (laughs) So, first of all, guys, like Shane, we know freaking Bubba. Bubba would put his. If Bubba would put, you know, his his mother through a table if he thought it was going to get him over. Okay, so right. of course, of course, Bubba's going to give Dixie this big bump to get himself over, and Bubba's like laughing about it, right? So, yeah. like, of course, I, I'm I'm cutting a promo on Bubba. Like, bro, like, are you freaking out of your mind? This woman has never taken a freaking bump in her life. The whole nine yards, like literally, bro. Like, what the freak is wrong with you? And like, Bubby's laughing, yeah. bro. So, bro, <laughs> Bubby's going through this, no matter what I say. So, bro, yeah. my next call is to Dixie Carter, and I say, Dixie, bro, I wasn't working there at the time. I was calling it because, again, I'm, I'm telling you guys about human beings. Right. I said, Dixie. I said, Dixie. When I was at WCW. I put myself in the ring and I put myself in situations I should have never put myself into because, because the, the pressure they were putting on me for numbers, I, I, I finally said, screw you, bro. I'll go out there and do it myself. That, that was my mentality. I said, right. I put myself in harm's way. I didn't know what I was doing. I said, Dixie, I got hurt very badly. I got a concussion. I got concussed again and again and again. I had post-concussion syndrome. I was like, Dixie, I don't care how safe the spot is. Anything can happen. Okay? Dixie, don't do this. You've never taken a bump before. This definitely shouldn't be your first bump. What did she do, bro? (laughs) 
she starts yelling at me and she starts screaming at me. How dare you say I can't do this? And blah, 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 blah. Yelling at me and screaming at me. So Shane, at that point, I'm like, okay, no problem, Dixie. Bro, she goes out. She does the gimmick. Bro, she breaks two bones in her freaking back. (laughs) And she wouldn't tell me that. She, she never contacted me after the spot. I knew she was hurt, bro, because I was hearing through the grapevine she was hurt. So I wound up yep. calling somebody in the company, and they're like, yeah, bro, she, she broke two bones in her back. But that's what I mean, bro. Like, th- th- there's no logic. Like, why would a mother, like a mother of two that is never taken about, you're going to let and, and, and guys, he, here's, the, here's the reason why. You're going to let a guy like Bubba put you through a table so Bubba can get himself over. But, bro, here's why she did it. This is how crazy people get. In her mind, she was going to win over the respect of the wrestling fans. <laughs> and and that, that's the truth. That's why she did it. And I'm like, okay, Dixie, you're going to break two freaking bones in your back? So the wrestling fans respect you. But guys, that's how it gets in the freaking bubble. That's what happens. Yep. That's true. It's, it's, I mean, you know, I, you know, the one thing I found out about Dixie that, uh, you know, if, if she would come on the show right now, uh, Chad and JP would think she was a sweetheart. She's, she's, you know, great very intelligent woman. Great woman. Herself very well. Yeah. And, and, you know, she's, you know, yeah, she's graceful. You know, she's, you know, very eloquent and well-spoken. But where I learned her true colors was every time she saw me, no matter where it was, uh, you know, on the lot, in the studio, in the green room, she would always ask about the boys. And at the end, remember when I went to to rehab and I came back, she told me that uh, while I was in the hospital, that she would be uh, paying me. So I get out of the hospital and I come home and there's a stack of bills sitting there. And I asked my ex-wife, I said, now why haven't you been paying those? She said, pay them with what? And I said, well, haven't you been getting a, a check? She said, no. So I called Dixie. And I said, Dixie, I just got home from the hospital. I'm sitting there staring at a stack of bills a foot high. Uh, you know, is there a reason you haven't been sending the checks? You know, you told me you were going to keep paying me. And she said, like, and she whispered under her breath. She said, I never said that. I said, excuse me? And she said, uh, again, like, a little bit louder, but still like under her breath. And I said, like, unbelievable. I had to fight her for two years for a $55 rental car in Nashville. And I sent them receipts. Of, what was the lady's name in Dallas? Uh, uh, yeah. And I sent I know. them receipts over and over again. And like, I thought to myself, you know, every time I'd see her, like I told you, she'd ask me about the boys. And when she let me go, after I went public with my story for them, uh, she let me go two weeks before Christmas. Last time I first, but I, the only time I've seen her since, I said, don't even open your mouth and ask about your boys because you're a fucking fraud. And uh, yeah, I, I just just lost all respect for her there. You know, if, if you want to fire yeah. me, it's your prerogative, but you can't wait till the day after Christmas. Uh, yeah. She's just, uh, so I'm, I'm glad that my good friend from ECW, Bubba, got a chance to powerbomb her from the table. I'm glad she got a chance to <laughs> 
what it's like to be a professional wrestler. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she and she got over. She got over with the fans too. <laughs> they really, they really, they really, they really supported her and TNA down the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get into the wrap here now, and we want to just really thank you, Vince, for coming on and spending this time with us. This is, yeah. uh, it's been a lot of fun, and to hear some stories from your perspective, and then add Shane in. Like I said, you know, you two might be blackballed from uh, one organization, but I can tell you right now, the wrestling fans that uh, they know what the real deal is. They know the franchise. They know Vince Russo. Uh, they tell it like it is. So we appreciate you coming on. So please, the floor is yours. Tell everybody about the brand. Again, I'll say it again. I subscribe to the brand. I listen every day. It's a great resource. It's a lot of fun. And you might even learn something uh, as well. And Vince is a great uh, he's a, he's a great pilot for the brand. So please, Vince, please, the floor is yours. Well, before I, before I say that, I mean, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I, guys, I, I can count on one hand. The, the, and, bro, when you look at the thousands, the thousands that I worked with, I can count on one hand, like now at this point in my life, people that I absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, enjoy having conversations with. I, bro, I, I don't even know if I'd use all five fingers. But, uh, you know, Shane is, without a doubt, one of those top, top those guys, Shane and I could not talk for the next freaking 10 years, and we'll come back 10 years from now. We'll feel the same about each other. We'll say the same things about each other like we never missed a beat. That's how you know, bro, who your real friends are. And like I said, on, on one hand, uh, you know, I mean, I can count, you know, people that I still consider friends. And unfortunately, one of them is like the Disco Inferno. And, bro, he may come off at any <laughs> like, I, I'm going to be honest with you. He could, he could come off at any day, but Shane will, will be on that list forever. And, Shane, you know how much I – bro, you know how much I love and respect you as a man, bro. I, I do, and I appreciate it. I appreciate you being on with us. It's uh, Like you said, it, you know, we go through, through like, spurts of, of seeing each other, talking to each other, but, uh, you know, it's uh, – you know, even before the TNA team, but the TNA thing sealed it to me. You know, the way, the way that you stood up for me and when nobody else was there, uh, when everybody else was throwing anchors, you were lending a hand. And I, uh, I really, really appreciate that. And we'll never forget it. Yeah. Thanks man. But guys, yeah, I do a daily show, bro. I do a daily show on the brand uh, for the realm network. You can go to Russo's brand.com. I have a different co-host every day. People like Vito Lagrasso, Goldie Locks from TNA, uh, Stevie Riches, the Disco Inferno, Ben Amin. You get like eight shows a week, bro, for less than a dollar a week. Just go to Russo'sBrand.com. And guys, um, on October 7th, I'm debuting a brand new show on Westwood One. And it's exactly what we talked about today, bro. It's called Truth with Consequences, where I really am going to speak the truth about the many, many false narratives that are out there regarding me. So that's uh, that's basically what I'm doing now. Awesome. Yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you, guys. And, and John and Chad, thank you so much for having me. And, Shane, we'll talk again soon, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a call here in a couple of days. I want to catch up with you on a couple other things. So uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Look forward, look forward to the call. Shane, I got two last words for you. You ready? Okay. Yes. Paul, Paul Stanley. <laughs> <laughs>
Good talking with Thanks. you, buddy. Thanks, Vince. All right, so we're going to be back here in real time. We're going to close out the show like we always do. So that was a lot of fun. We knew you'd enjoy that one, Shane. We had that one waiting for you when you got back from Australia. And obviously, the history between you guys, it made the perfect guests for this show. So I uh, hope you had as much fun as we did sure. listening to it. Oh, I did. We could pick up and just you know, not have talked or seen each other forever and, and get right right into it. It's, uh, you know, I always, look, never say, this is no secret. I've, you know, I've not been, you know, kayfabe about this. There were things that Vince did with his booking that I disagreed with, but not being the booker, it's not, <laughs> not my job. My job was, you know, the stuff. But the one thing about Vince was what I didn't want to get into it too much because it was going to be like a belabored story. Uh, but when, the day that he came and sat down at the table with us, he said, uh, you're, you're my guys. And like, you know, I, I knew Vince from WWF before, but you know, not really that closely. And I was like, Oh, you know, hey Vince, we like you too. You know, like all four of us. In fact, I think one, it was either Chris or I mean, it was either Perry or Dean when he walked away and said, what the fuck does he mean by that? Uh, and I knew what he meant by it because I knew Vince in the way he talked was that he was going to be utilizing us to build, build around us. And, uh, you know, that's when he started coming up with the idea of, of the faction and, uh, you know, he came to the revolution. But what the reason I didn't want to get too much into that story was because, again, it just sort of carries on and on. But that's where he took a lion's share of the heat. Um, the night that we did the, uh, it was in uh, Palace, uh, what, what's uh, uh, Palace of Auburn Hills? Auburn Hills. Yeah, Auburn Hills Palace was the night that we went out and, and now we had been doing multiple of these vignettes, but we went into the ring and that's the night we feigned that we were going to burn the American flag. And, uh, you know, I, I know a thing or two about heat and there was money drawing heat in that building. When I came walking to the back, uh, JJ was standing there. He said, that was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And I said, well, then maybe you should have opened your mouth during the uh, production meeting. Uh, and that was where he started getting a real, ton of heat and pressure flair and those guys went right to the office you know and just you know when you push the envelope like like vince would do it at times uh it's real easy for somebody to go on a political level and say hey man do you want you want somebody burning american flags on on your tv stations it looks like tbs advocates that you know that kind of thing and you know not even realizing that you have a faction and flair more than anybody knew this because he'd been the horseman, right? Uh, that you have a strong heel faction that's drawing heat. You can draw money with that. And that company at that time was in desperate need of people drawing, drawing people. It was the one thing that it didn't have. Uh, and they just circled the wagons around. But I remember like when Russo or when, uh, Bischoff came back, um, there was like a lot of talk, like whispers between like people that were loyal to Vince and people that were loyal to uh, to Bischoff, like asking, like, "Hey, who he, he, he with?" You know, it, it was such a strange oddity in the dressing room because, like, I saw, you know, Bischoff and and uh, Russo both having strong assets, and had they worked together, you know, that I really honestly believe that we could have turned the corner back for the company. And I thought me and Flair could be a big, uh, big push towards that. And instead, 
you know, we got the us and them routines. And, you know, I don't know what the personal heat is between Russo and Bischoff. And quite frankly, don't care. Um, but it, it was a very strange time at, at, at a moment in time when we really could have focused on turning that company around. And instead, you know, it, it, it became, you know, uh, Political University 101. And it just was horrendous. You know, it's not not as bad as WWF in 95 because you still had, you know, your boys there and stuff. You know, I was still surrounded by friends. Um, but it was, I, the writing was on the wall. You knew that WCW was on borrowed time. And, you know, we, we could have all had jobs there for life. And instead they flushed it down the drain. Um, really, really amazing. You know, and, that, and that's why I always lend to the narrative uh, when you hear people say, like, uh, it was by design, like, there are people that say that Russo was there under Vince's tutelage and was being paid by Vince to undermine the company. You have other people saying B Russo, or, I mean, Bischoff was uh, doing it for Vince. I don't think there's any of that. There, you know, there was all the political infighting on that end. Um, and, you know, Vince, I, I have to say, Vince pretty much stayed above that. Like, he never once came to me and said, are you on my side or Bischoff's side? But I did get that the other direction. You know, it was uh, it, it was very clear. And, you know, I, I just, you know, just knowing business like I know business, I knew that, that couldn't last long. And when it built to that head that night when uh, Hogan wouldn't lay down for Jarrett, I went to Jeff and I said, why don't you just take it on him? And, you know, I don't think Jeff's like that kind of guy. Uh, but it was like a big, big, big to do in the back, you know, like. <laughs> Everybody was taking sides, you know, fuck Jarrett, fuck Hogan. It was, it was horrendous. And, you know, when you're on a team like that, you know the team can't succeed. When the right and left are both pushing back against each other and pulling away from each other, it's just never going to succeed. And that's why I said, like, when Vince was there, uh, he, he, he lost the day he got signed because uh, TBS was one of the ratings two weeks ago, and then – when that didn't happen, because it can't happen, uh, they brought Bischoff back, and then that just exacerbated. All that did was uh, put oomph back on the old guys, the Flares and the Hogans. And, you know, let's face it, those would be guys that had the ear of management anyway. And now they had Bischoff, and they're advocating back for them. And, you know, I thought the, the, the uh, Millionaires Club versus the, the New Blood I thought that whole angle had real legs to it because it wasn't just me versus Flair. Now it was the entire card versus the entire card. Um, but, you know, it's a real shame. You know, and, and Vince takes, uh, takes a lot of umbrage for it. But, you know, it's... Uh, it, it, I, I've always taken like, the stuff that... Like when people like troll on, on him and, you know, you see on Twitter and stuff, I've always taken that as, you know, those are the people that just want to troll, right? And so they go for the low-hanging low fruit, <clears throat> um, you know, but you know, like Vince said, you know, people are still talking about the uh, David Arquette thing. You know, how many can tell you what was on Raw yesterday or SmackDown? Yeah, it's the in thing. I mean, it's chic to to rip Russo online and uh, and to do that and, 
you know, it's a shame because he, he's a really nice guy. Uh, once you get to hear him, once you get to hear him speak, and obviously the stories yep. that he just shared here, if there are not any indication, if you're somebody listening and you're not a Russo fan, you know, I wasn't really a big Russo fan until I started listening to the guy. And I was like, you know, all this shit that I've heard over the years just because of wrestling is bullshit. And, you know, it can help you change your opinion. So I hope anybody who's listening to this enjoyed, obviously, the parallels of you guys and uh, what you've done in your careers. Uh, cross paths a few times, so it worked out absolutely perfect. And uh, appreciate you taking the time uh, on an off day. We normally wouldn't record on today, the day we're recording. So appreciate you, Shane, for freeing up the time to uh, to get involved and in, uh, do this interview. But, hey, this coming weekend, we're, we're not recording it in actual time, but this coming weekend, we are all going to be in Feasterville, Pennsylvania, the icons of wrestling. And, of course, the big thing happening in Feasterville, PA, is a reunion of sorts. Again, the Francine and Franchise Tour continues, and uh, John and I are just happy to be uh, a small part of that reunion this coming weekend. I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's uh, this will be the first time Franny and I've been back together since uh, since we saw each other in uh, uh, Atlantic City. So you know, it's for me, it's always uh, you know a good time seeing Franny and and reliving old times. But you know, it's uh, I want to get a chance to talk to her more after what we had said in last week's episode about you know the uh, you know the, uh, the the negative things that she was going through. Uh, you know. You know things that you know different people were saying, uh, and you know, you know, body shaming her and stuff. Because again, I, you know, <laughs> I was I was with her every night, uh, walking to the ring and back with her, from the ring with her every night. And you know, I, I what I saw was a smoking hot, beautiful woman that was busting her ass out there. So looking forward to seeing her in Feasterville and the Icons Convention because hey, the franchise and Francine sort of goes together. It's like peanut butter and chocolate, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, if you, you want, you follow the show on Twitter at the 3 Threat Pod, at 2-Man Power Trip, at Wrestling Pal, and, of course, at the Franchise SD. And all the show audio and everything can be found on TNPTWrestling.com. Access the Triple Threat Podcast page. You can get download links, YouTube videos, and the link, of course, to the franchise Shane Douglas t-shirts. And of course, you can also head to WrestlingSuperstore.com and FiguresToyCompany.com and get your hands on the franchise Shane Douglas action figure as well as the rest of the over 30 different figures in the figure lines of Figures Toy Company and WrestlingSuperstore.com. So Shane, with all that being said, it was a huge, huge episode. And we want to hand it over to you. Take it out in only the way the franchise can and let's get this show on the road. Hey, we promised you a big surprise guest that we delivered in episode 65. Coming up this weekend, Feasterville, the Icons Convention, the franchise and Francine rise again. Make sure you tune in next week because you never know what you're going to miss right here on the Triple Threat Podcast. Tune in or get your ass franchise. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.